Welcome. 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 You're listening to Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Built by Us. It's Taylor here. Um, I'm alone today. Alyssa's not by my side because she went home for Thanksgiving. So I hope that all of you enjoyed your weeks. Um, So we are back today uh, talking about redistricting. I know a lot of you uh, have probably been waiting for this episode. It's been a while since we've last talked about it, and we have a lot to cover. So since I don't have Alyssa with me, I needed to bring in some extra help because it's complicated, y'all. Like We got a a lot to go through, and it's going to get confusing. So I decided to bring in our amazing senior research manager, J.P. Grier. It's spelled Grillet, but that is how you say it. And uh, he is our senior research manager here at Democracy North Carolina, and he has been working on redistricting this whole year. So he's going to help us out. JP, it's so good to have you here. Thanks for having me, Taylor. This is my first podcast appearance, and it's making me feel very special uh, and and grateful this this holiday week. So yeah, thanks for having me here. Wonderful. Yes. So like I said, uh, listeners, it's been a while since we talked exclusively about redistricting and a lot has happened. So we wanted to cover hopefully questions that you have about it today. Um, But if not, don't hesitate to DM us on social media or email us at communications at democracync.org. So before we get into it, let's do a quick description of what redistricting is. JP? All right, I will try to keep this quick. Um, So redistricting, let's see, where to begin? The the United States has a unique um, sort of democratic republic system, uh, going back to y'all's civics class um, many years ago. So this is a a democratic system in which representation is allocated geographically instead of proportionally, like you would see in a parliamentary democracy uh, overseas or in Canada. This means that instead of apportioning representatives according to the share of either Democratic or Republican votes, uh, populations are divided into districts of roughly equal population. And in theory, political candidates fight to win the most votes within that particular district. Um, So in theory, this should allow the candidate who speaks most directly to the needs of that uh, geographical district the people within that district, um, it should allow that candidate to win. Uh, But unfortunately, the process of creating these districts has devolved over the decades to the situation we now have in most states, uh, North Carolina included, uh, where politicians who are already in power draw districts that make their races less competitive at the expense of voters. Um, So rather than voters choosing their representatives, Uh, In this system, we usually have representatives choosing their voters. Um, So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it's interesting because I've been working on redistricting, you know, for a few years now, because unfortunately in North Carolina, it's not a once every decade experience, which we can get into. Um, So it's funny because I've not thought about it in comparison to how it works in other parts of the world. Yeah. So you saying it that way and talking about how we do um, our proportioning geographically and that's not necessarily how it works everywhere else is 
it's just like, it's just bringing things up for me because it sounds when you explain it, doing this geographically sounds like the right thing to do, right? Because people who live in cities are, have very different needs from people who live in um, rural communities versus suburbs, all the stuff that we talk about when we get into the nitty gritty. Totally. And so it's like, okay, the, the idea is the right thing, but just what you said, it has devolved and now it's not working the way it should. Right. Intuitively it makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're thinking, and this is a similar conversation to the one we might have around the electoral college. Mm -hmm. So after the 2016 election, there was a lot of criticism of the electoral college. Um, A lot of it, new criticism, a lot of it, criticism that has existed since the founding of this country in that even the 2000 uh, election. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, In that, you know, there's an issue where uh, if you just take the raw population of the United States, um, or I should say voters, um, and divide that up, there is usually a more a higher raw number of Democratic votes than Republican votes. But because of the electoral system, and those votes being divided geographically, Mm-hmm. as opposed to proportionally, um, it can result in races going in opposite directions of the popular vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing is happening with redistricting, where um, essentially, rather than, you know, if we're looking at North Carolina, um, and we have X number of representatives, um, you know, if you look at the total number of people who voted Democratic, in prior elections, it's a little over 50%. If you look at the total number of people who voted Republican, it's a little under 50%. So you would think that there would be, whether at federal or uh, state level, that there would be a higher proportion of Democrats than Republicans. Um, of course, that's not the case in North Carolina. In fact, Republicans have a supermajority. So um, Dem NC is a uh, C3, we're not commenting on political partisanship, but just looking at the numbers and proportionality, there seems to be a mismatch there in terms of uh, who's voting and how they're being represented. Um, <clears throat> so, and then there's a similar issue with, with that, where uh, if we wanted to just look at um, voter registration, you know, uh, we have roughly 30% of North Carolinians are registered Democrats roughly 30% are registered Republican, and then roughly 30% are unaffiliated. Um, but of course, in, in North Carolina and the United States, there is hardly any third party uh, representation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's why elections are so important. It's important for people to show up because you can't just directly do that sort of proportional system. Oh, we have this many Democrats, let's have this many representatives, let's have this, we have those unaffiliated that have to vote and and um, make those calls. So in theory, right, it, it, and going back, if you're, you know, setting up a, a republic um, that's, you know, liberated itself from a monarchy, it might make sense to do things a little differently. And, um, you know, we already divided this country up into these different states. Let's make these states uh, somewhat autonomous and have them um, elect their own representatives. But by having this sort of like uh, I don't know how you'd say this, but there's a very shoddy foundation there where already we're not counting every human being 
as human beings, right? And then when we are counting human beings, we're only counting them according to the land that they're on. And so the way that it was started and the way it has devolved into today results in this situation where um, essentially all you have to do is win that first election and then you can keep making the game easier for yourself uh, every 10 years by drawing districts that will make your race less competitive. Um, and you know, Republicans and Democrats do this and it always comes at the expense of voters because uh, the thing that makes democracy work is competitive elections where actual policies and, and ideas have to um, duke it out and fight it out for the votes of the constituents. But when you draw districts that tend all the way Republican or all the way Democratic, then you don't really have to fight uh, on the basis of policy or ideas. You already have your votes counted and tabulated before the race even happens. You know, so um, yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem right now, and I'll, I'll cut it there because I can go on all day just rambling about this. Well, now that we're good and angry, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> these are things that I know because we've been talking about them for so long, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't stop my my internal temperature from rising, right? So. Uh -huh we're frustrated that this is where we are. So let us know where our maps are right now. So it's, we're recording this as of November 24th. Um, a lot of the hectic nature of redistricting is a little bit past us. So um, by the time you hear this listeners, hopefully nothing has changed. So as of November 24th, like where are we with our maps? All right, yeah, so um, as of today, Maps have been drawn and approved by the NCGA. Um, precise date, uh, the maps were passed on the 3rd, November 3rd. Um, so certain groups have already started suing the NCGA over the approved maps, uh, but until those decisions come down in uh, the courts over the next few months, years, uh, and not without millions of taxpayer dollars um, going into those, uh, you know, um, first, uh, yeah, the maps that were approved on the third will be the maps we use for the next 10 years. Hmm. She said that there are multiple lawsuits. Yes. Against the maps that we have. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they've already started rolling. <laughs> Sounds contentious, right? Yes. So how did we get here? How did we get these maps that are already being sued? Yeah. So um, the redistricting process this year has been particularly hectic. Um, I'm sure, you know, everybody in the world has been affected by COVID-19 um, and this global pandemic. Uh, and along with that, a lot of government agencies, including the Census uh, Bureau. So um, if we want to draw, if we're thinking about, if we're going back and thinking about, you know, uh, allocation um, by geography and trying to create districts that are of roughly equal populations, um, the way we draw those districts is going to be using census data. Uh, this is why, just side note, this is why it's so important to complete your census, um, going back to redistricting. Um, so we, we need census data to draw districts. Um, because of COVID-19, the census results um, were delayed and delivered later than usual uh, in 2020. Um, well, I should say 2021. Um, 
Nonetheless, the NCGA tried to stick to uh, their normal timeline, aiming to complete maps before December candidate filing deadlines. Um, so just to clarify on that, um, when, when we're drawing, when we're doing redistricting every 10 years, uh, the maps have to be drawn before uh, candidates can file, which makes sense, right? Because if, you know, in North Carolina this year that we have a new district, um, you can't file to run for a race for a district that has not been defined or clearly drawn yet. Um, but since the NCGA tried to stick to this timeline, uh, this meant that we had a very condensed map drawing timeline. And I do just want to say here that it was an option to push back the December candidate filing deadline and allow for a longer process that would have allowed for more public input um, and more debate and discussion within the General Assembly. But the NCGA decided to stick to the December candidate filing deadline. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was I was going to ask you to talk on that for a second because, uh, you know, we've been doing this podcast for about three years. So if we have listeners who's been here since the beginning, we, you know, we've talked through uh, how our last presidential election was moved from, I'm sorry, our last presidential primary was moved from May up until March because North Carolina, you know, decision makers decided that we wanted to be a quote unquote more important state in the primary. And so now we're on this moved up timeline, uh-huh. which doesn't like we put that on ourselves. Like we didn't have to do that. Yeah. We could have we could have a May primary and given ourselves more time to complete this process so that we had fair maps rather than rushing through it. Um, so that's just I just wanted to put a very big point on that to remind everybody that we did not have to stick to this timeline. It is made up anyway. Yeah, it is made up. And, and that goes into uh, uh, my next sort of point here, which is, um, you know, when we're, when we're talking about redistricting and the rules, uh, I already said earlier that <clears throat> the NCGA, the politicians who are already in power, are the ones who draw the maps. Um, you might be wondering, well, is there an objective set of criteria that maybe the federal government passes down to each state and says, you have to follow this uh, to draw maps fairly and equitably. Um, No, not particularly. Um, The NCGA, uh, or I should say each state, whatever body is in charge of redistricting, comes up with criteria to guide the map drawing process themselves. So uh, you can already see some issues here. Imagine um, your I'm a big fan of soccer. Imagine you're on a soccer team and you're playing against a team that is not only your competitor, but also the referee and they wrote the rule book. So just a lot during the competition, they can just change the rules and follow whatever rules they want because they're not going to be punished by anybody but themselves if they want to punish themselves. Um, that is an amazing analogy. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> I I listen to podcasts, various podcasts where people use sports analogies. And I always laugh because I'm like, oh, these men with their sports analogies. Why is yeah. it the first thing that comes to mind? But it's really good. Like yeah. you can visualize exactly what you're saying. It makes complete sense. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I, I wish I were um, 
more unique than the <laughs> average uh, white male podcaster. <laughs> <not> um, <laughs> But that is, yeah, that it's just unfortunately the the easiest way, um, at least for me to to think of it at this point, um, you know. And uh, yeah, it's or another way to think about it would be, you know, if you're um, you get a rubric um, for an exam or a project that you have to work on at school, and then right before you go turn in the exam, the the professor or the teacher tells you. Uh, I've completely changed the rubric, and I'm I'm also only going to grade according to specific items on the rubric that I care about. But I'm not going to tell you which ones I care about on that mm -hmm. rubric. Um, that's also, you know, kind of what is going on here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the NCGA decides on its own criteria. It's grading itself. It's refereeing itself on this map drawing process. The only thing that is a mandate that is legally required is drawing voting rights act districts prior to any of the other districts but once that is done uh, the ncga can follow whichever criterion that they prefer um, or deliberate according to those criteria however they see fit you know there uh, there's opportunity for public comment but um I, i'm getting ahead of myself let me just try to stick to the timeline so in august census data was delivered the NCGA decides on criteria to guide the map drawing process. Then over the course of September, the NCGA held 13 public hearings across the state to allow for public input. Um, the online public comment portal was also opened at this time uh, for people to submit written comments. The hearings, the in-person public hearings that were announced and, and held across the state they were announced with very little notice, um, I think maybe a week, two weeks, um, and there were too few. Uh, in 2010, just to, just to give you an idea here, the NCGA that passed the quote unquote surgical precision gerrymandered maps held over 60 hearings. Okay, that, that map, those maps that were found to be targeting voters of color with surgical precision, those came after 60, over 60 public hearings. And now this year, we get only 13 public hearings, which makes me shudder thinking, <laughs> you know, what courts will find wrong with these maps uh, once they, they end up in court. Um, so after the public hearings at some, in September, uh, the actual map drawing process started. Um, at that point, there were no plans for post map hearings, there were no announcements for post-map hearings, despite a lot of public outcry and demands for hearings after maps were drawn, because of course, uh, you know, you want to be able to look at the maps and talk about and say, no, I don't agree with how this line was drawn. I don't agree with how my community was split up here. But the NCGA had no plans at this point about uh, holding hearings after maps were drawn. Um, so even, you know, you saying that we would have wanted to be able to to say this is cutting my community in a weird way mm -hmm. that would also and i don't know if you wanted to get into this or not but that would also require the maps that they published to be like zoomed in enough for us huh? to yep. see that and yep. um Spoiler alert, if you didn't look at these maps, if you didn't do this <laughs> last month, they were not like you couldn't, you know, 
Yeah. I, I tried to like do things on Google Maps, like try to compare stuff, but it was, it's really hard. Like, you know, no, yeah. the state is big. Yeah, no, uh, Taylor, you're exactly right. And, you know, you and I are people who are fortunate enough to be paid daily to work on issues of democracy and uh, try to spend a few hours um, mapping the PDF versions that we got onto a Google Maps or onto a redistricting software and try to figure out exactly what's being divided and how. But even for us, you know, working in this field day in and day out, that is extremely difficult and time consuming. So to release maps the way that they were released um, in a PDF form with no interactive or digital sort of zoom in, zoom out feature uh, is very disingenuous to, to the public to say, here are the maps and we welcome your, your comments afterwards. It's like, do you really want our comments? Uh, do you really want constructive criticism because you're not giving us much to work with here? Um, yeah, so uh, the first maps, um, right? The first draft maps were uh, released on Thursday, October 21st. And along the lines that we were just talking about, those maps were released just as PDFs with confusing uh, initial names, things like SBK14, uh, CST9. You know, um, it might take you a few minutes to uh, figure out exactly what those mean. Like, does this mean state senate? Does this mean uh, congressional blocks? Does this, what does this mean? There was no sort of glossary on the website to, to know exactly what those uh, names mean. Um, there was no uh, author or, or drawer credit. You know, we couldn't see exactly who drew these maps. Um, and then, you know, the the maps were released on Thursday, October 21st. And after a lot of criticism and advocacy from DEMNC and partner organizations, uh, the NCGA did in fact announce uh, four post map hearings to take place that Monday and Tuesday after the maps were released on a Thursday. So they released the maps in a PDF form and then they're telling the public, okay, now you have, uh, the weekend, you know, we're going to go do whatever we want this weekend, but you have the weekend to download these ugly uh, PDF maps, um, try to zoom in, try to find your communities, try to find uh, your streets and um, your areas and tell us exactly what you do or don't like about the maps before uh, Monday and Tuesday hearings at 3 and 5 p.m which are very prohibitive to any working class people. You know, my, my parents, for example, had no chance of getting to those hearings unless they wanted to forego pay. Um, and so uh, just the way that it was announced so last minute, um, and then the onus being put on the public to do map analysis that, you know, institutions like Princeton put millions of dollars into doing uh, year in and year out. To have the public try to do that on our own with these PDF maps was just um, infuriating, to say the least. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then finally, uh, on November 3rd, after several committee hearings, the NCGA passed the final maps. And those final maps um, had very few changes from the draft maps released in October. So the NCGA claimed to have taken public comments into account. But 
I would say, this is just my opinion, if they read those comments um, and if they listened uh, intently and took notes at those public hearings, the maps would demonstrate that they either have hearing or reading challenges, or they just ignored the vast majority of public input. It's a funny burn. Um, I was, <laughs> I mean, this whole time I've just been thinking about what you said a little bit earlier is that they only gave us 13 hearings before maps. They only gave us four ish after maps were drawn and they clearly didn't listen to us. And it's, I hate to get to this point because uh, I'm always fighting back and forth between these feelings, but it's like, if last time they had 60 hearings and they didn't listen, it's like the amount of hearings is clearly not the problem because the amount of hearings or their them showing up to these hearings is a show. It is not uh, the genuine interest yeah. um, of what community members have to say for their needs, um, for themselves and their neighbors. So it's like this, this process exists to follow the law, um, but only to the, like, to the bare minimum, um, which is very frustrating. But at the same time, like you've said, that these have, these have, these are in, these maps are in court now. So did they even follow the law with how very little they were trying? We can probably guess that probably not. Yeah, um, they're probably not. Um, we don't want to speculate too much. Uh, you know, C is not implicated in any of the legal action taking place at this point, but we also don't want to um, go, go too far and say that it's definitely illegal because this is another part of the strategy, right? Um, they released maps uh, in that format as these PDFs that were color blocked and you know uh, impossible to zoom in um, accurately. They they give you very little information so that you can uh, so that you're not able to make um, more pointed and uh, objective criticism. You know we can just make our best guess. Like looking, you know, for example, a big issue was uh, the the Sand Hills region, which is sort of southeast North Carolina. <clears throat> um, Historically, Fayetteville has been divided from most of the Sand Hills, or at least the northern part of Fayetteville. And that was a big thing that we saw coming through in the in the public comments and in the public hearings was we want Fayetteville to be kept whole and we want it to be kept as part of the Sand Hills region. Um, and some of the final maps that that did not happen. Um, and you know, when when you hear the General Assembly leadership say, well, it is mostly kept whole. Uh, you just can't really tell on the maps that were released because they're in the PDF format. You know, they're admitting there themselves that we can't see and we just have to take their word for it that it's mostly kept in, kept intact, you know, but if you're not giving us that full transparency and the full ability to see precisely where you drew the line to see if my community is in fact going to be kept whole or is it going to be divided and, for example, be gerrymandered into parts of Charlotte or gerrymandered into parts of Raleigh? You know, that is a very disingenuous version of, of transparency. 
definitely. Which, if you're not sure, Fayetteville, Charlotte, and Raleigh are all very big cities that are very far away from each other. So yeah. it would just it would just be weird for them to be in the same district. Let's just say that. Right. Totally. Um, and so earlier you were talking about like we're talking about how okay do these comply with the law and earlier you mentioned the vra and that is one of the more that is one of the pieces of the law that we as an organization like bring up more often Mm -hmm. um so would you be able to share the like the vra's connection to redistricting Yes. So I will do my best here. Um, So the Voting Rights Act um, required that, uh, or you know what, I might have to, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, Because I can't say it either, which is why I asked you. (laughs) uh, But I I do think it's important for the pod. Um, Let me just uh, look something up real quick, because I probably All right. Do you want to just uh, repeat the question? Yeah. Um, So we've been talking about compliance with the law and how these maps are being sued for that question. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the VRA earlier. And I think that that seems to be one of the biggest connections between the law and redistricting that at least we as an organization talk about. So Uh could you share a little bit about how the VRA um, is and should be connected to our voting maps? Right. So this is a tricky one because it has changed over the past um, few years. But uh, basically, um, the Voting Rights Act uh, seeks to ensure that, you know, no voting policies discriminate on the basis of race, color, um, or, you know, protected language or minority group. And that includes redistricting. Mm -hmm. Um, So under the Voting Rights Act, uh, states that essentially have a history of being racially discriminatory. um, And there's a formula within the Voting Rights Act that determines this. Um, Those those areas or those states, they need to seek preclearance basically permission from the Department of Justice before going ahead with any changes to voting laws or voting policy uh, in those areas. So that would include redistricting. Um, And what that means for North Carolina or any state for that matter is that if we're talking about a voting rights district, um, they cannot change that district or um, update it or make a new one without first getting preclearance from uh, the federal government. Um, and when we're talking about redistricting, that is the only um, real and hard line, you know, sort of legal requirement when it comes to redistricting. The criteria that I was talking about earlier, those are not legally binding. Um, so you can find the North Carolina General Assembly criteria uh, on their website for this year's redistricting process. And you can look at all of those, but they none of those are legally binding. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there are some references to following certain court orders or mandates, but um, for all intents and purposes, the Voting Rights Act uh, pieces are going to be the only legally binding um, criterion for, for drawing districts. So was preclearance not one of the things that was taken away when Section 5 was good in? Right. So in 2013, um, the U.S. Supreme Court held that it is unconstitutional to use the coverage formula in Section 4B of the Voting Rights Act to determine which jurisdictions are subject to the preclearance requirement of Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. Um, and then in Shelby County versus Holder, the Supreme Court did not rule on the constitutionality of Section 5 itself. Um, rather, the, the jurisdictions identified by the coverage formula um, would no longer need to seek preclearance for the new voting changes unless they are covered by a separate court order entered under Section 3C of the Voting Rights Act. So that is getting very wonky and in the weeds, right? But um, yeah, there, there's no longer a need for preclearance, but there are still defined uh, voting rights districts um, that, that need to be respected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with that all being said, that is, you know, so those pieces are the things that could be discussed in court mm -hmm. um, because there was, as we understand, there was no consideration of race in this map drawing process. It was not part of the criterion. So could you just share what the representative said about why they decided not to take race into account? Um, and then maybe we could try to go into how it's possible that, that could be more detrimental than actually taking into account because it's hard to say, right? Because we had these maps that were deemed racial gerrymanders and were deemed illegal because of how race was taken into account. So we know that it can be done poorly. Um, so with all that context, <laughs> um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about race being a part of drawing maps. Yeah, so this was the big scandal. Um, there were a lot of scandals for <laughs> redistricting North Carolina. There always are. Uh, but the big one in terms of the criteria that the NCGA decided on this year, uh, and I will quote directly from the criteria just to, to have it uh, reflected accurately. Mm -hmm. um, the NCGA decided that data identifying the race of individuals or voters shall not be used in the construction or consideration of districts in the 2021 Congressional, House, and Senate plans. The committees will draw districts that comply with the Voting Rights Act. Um, so just in that criterion itself, you can kind of see the, the paradox. We're, going, we're not going to use racial data, but we are going to comply with the Voting Rights Act. I personally don't see how you do that. Um, but uh, in when the North Carolina maps were found unconstitutional, uh, gerrymandered with surgical precision, um, the court advised the General Assembly not to use racial or political data to gerrymander districts. Okay, that sounds clear enough. <laughs> um, General Assembly leadership took that to mean 
not to use racial data or political data mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're just going to go in blind. We're just going to draw these districts however we want to on the map, you know, or according to whatever other criterion. But we're not going to actively use racial data or political data at all. Um, and so the, the line of defense, um, not officially, but you know, in public hearings that we heard from uh, General Assembly leadership was that if a particular district appears to be gerrymandered along lines of race or uh, political affiliation, that is just purely by coincidence, since we did not look at race or political data at all. But again, there's a paradox there. Mm-hmm. How, how is it that there can be this many coincidental gerrymanders mm-hmm. you know, without looking at that data? Um, we can speculate. Maybe they looked at other data that were proxies for race or political affiliation, like uh, education, wealth, health uh, data. Um, but more specifically to your point and your question about how detrimental that can be. Um, We have learned a lot over the past several years as a society about the inequity across um, lines of race when it comes to things like these societal outcomes like health, wealth, education, um, economic outcomes, etc. We know that these outcomes tend to be lower for communities of color. Uh, than they are for white communities. Um, We know that they tend to be lower for uh, people of lower incomes, for example, as well. Um, People who are learning English as a second language. Um, If we know that that's a problem, then that should be accounted for and um, taken into consideration when designing any new policy, let alone redistricting. Um, And going back to the beginning of this conversation, uh, in the United States, we decided not to do proportional. We decided to do uh, geographical representation because the claim is that people in different areas will have different needs. You said yourself, um, you know, somebody in a city is going to have different needs than somebody in a rural part of the state. Um, So there's a paradox here where we're claiming to want to fit the specific needs of a specific person or a specific group of people Mm -hmm. in a particular geographical area. But we don't wanna do the work of seeing exactly what they look like and what their needs are based on their identity to make sure that the districts are actually working for them and that the representatives that they elect um, know exactly who they're representing and how to best fit their needs. You know, if, if you want to best uh, meet the needs of your constituents, you should know what they look like. Uh, you should know what their needs are, what their culture is. Um, and by refusing to take into account the racial data, um, you're just completely ignoring a major uh, factor in, in, in society, right? You're just completely ignoring um, something that has dictated societal outcomes since the founding of this country. And for me, you know, if we're talking about building your democracy, 
um, and deciding to go this, this route of district and geographic-based representation, that is another very disingenuous criterion to add that we're not gonna look at the identity of our actual constituents. We're just going to ignore that and draw whatever districts we want. And then to say, you know, whatever the outcome is, totally coincidental. You know, that also I find a bit disingenuous. Yeah, especially because, um, you know, the it's clear that one of the hopes that they have is that that's like a good line of defense for them, which I think you mentioned earlier is like, oh, well, we didn't look at this, so you can't um, you can't call us guilty right. uh, for uh, targeting people because of their race if we didn't use it at all. But I'm also thinking about how they have they also have years of old maps to look at too that were yeah. racially gerrymandered. So it's like they don't they don't need you're bringing up a great data. Point. You're bringing up a great point here, Taylor. In that, um, you know, something we heard repeatedly from Representative Hall, who led the House uh, Redistricting Committee, was that these maps had as few changes as possible from the redrawn maps mm -hmm. after. Um, after the courts found the original maps unconstitutional. So after, after that surgical precision decision, um, North Carolina had to draw new maps. And you know the General Assembly went through that process. They did it in a more or less bipartisan way. Um, and at that point, they were considering racial data um, and political data. Um, and after that, third parties still found racial gerrymanders and political gerrymanders. What we heard repeatedly this cycle was that um, there were as few changes made to those redrawn maps as possible. So if we know that those redrawn maps were also using racial data and political data and were also still having problems, mm -hmm. then how can you say that you've drawn new maps with as few changes as those to as possible, but somehow didn't consider any racial data or didn't consider any political data. You know, you know it's coming from this one source that relied heavily on that kind of data. And now you're telling us that you didn't consider that data at all. Um, you know, maybe you didn't use it like specifically in drawing this map, but if it's based on a map that did, you are still using it, right? You know, like um, populations change, populations move and grow, but more or less, you know, we, we know uh, the racial breakdown of certain areas. Um, if you're a representative of North Carolina, uh, I expect you to know what North Carolina looks like from coast to coast. I expect you to know your constituents. Mm -hmm. So even if you wanna claim that um, you're not using the data, you should at least have some idea, right? <laughs> you know, like um, this is not some neutral, completely independent force coming in and just saying, I'm not gonna use racial data. This is somebody who has a history in North Carolina, um, serves constituents, has heard from people before, has done research outside of redistricting on what demographics in different parts of the state look like. So to claim that no racial considerations went into the maps at all is yeah, completely disingenuous. It's all so tricky. Yes, tricky, um, to put it mildly. Um, and, you know, uh, we are talking a lot about how this process went. 
this process was infuriating. Um, I've said disingenuous far too many times uh, <laughs> in this in this interview, and um, you know, especially the week of Thanksgiving. This that's when this is being recorded. Um, to to be talking about disingenuousness is uh, is bad. But um, there are we do have some things that we could start advocating for, and um, we have learned a lot in terms of what could be better about redistricting in North Carolina and and across the country. So if there's if there's more work to be done now, um, what are some of those things that we can be working on? You know, one of the things I have not uh, really spoken on yet is exactly what we heard from um, the, the public comments and public hearings. Democracy North Carolina was able to compile all of the public comments that were submitted through the NCGA public comment portal and um, do some analysis on those comments. And something we heard uh, or read over and over and over again from organizations and people across the political spectrum, from the most uh, Republican to the most Democratic and tons of unaffiliated voters, is that the people want an independent process mm -hmm. for redistricting in North Carolina. Um, what does that mean? That means a body that is not politically affiliated to one party or another, that would be in charge of everything having to do with redistricting from uh, pulling the census data, developing the criteria, uh, soliciting public input, drawing the maps in a transparent way, and then providing opportunities for feedback on those maps after they are drawn, and then passing those maps in a way that is separate from uh, political party influence. Mm -hmm. um, we heard a, there's a huge, huge desire for that in North Carolina. Yeah, that's, uh, this is something that we've, um, you know, an independent redistricting committee, nonpartisan redistricting committee or commission is something that we've um, been wanting to push for for a long time, um, even though it's a difficult uh, campaign to run. But, mm -hmm. and we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I don't remember if we specifically spoke on that last point that you mentioned about the process of passing the maps once they're all done. And I really appreciate you bringing that up specifically because that is an interesting sticking point here that maps are passed like other bills. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that they're part of like political collateral that comes with making deals like it like happens with other bills? And so whether we know that or not, or whether that happens or not, it, it shouldn't even be on the table. So like the, the passing of maps shouldn't be the same as, you know, making a deal for you pass my bill if I pass your bill. No, you're exactly right. And that is how the maps are currently passed. Um, and, you know, again, I can't speculate too much, but uh, we were, you and I both, Taylor, were uh, listening in on a lot of those mm -hmm. redistricting uh, committee and uh, general assembly hearings. And sometimes you can just kind of tell, oh, maybe they're talking about something else here. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, maybe they're talking about another bill or referring to 
another deal that they had. And that's what they're leveraging in this particular bill. Because once it actually, once the maps actually get uh, pushed to um, committees and floor votes, uh, it is treated like any other bill. Mm -hmm. all, all these bills are very important. It's really important that we all pay attention to all of them and that um, we advocate and make our, our voices heard about these different bills. But when we're talking about the building blocks, the basic foundation of our democracy, mm -hmm. you know, um, this should not be a process. This should not be uh, a policy that is decided by a supermajority of any political or any government body, mm -hmm. um, right? Like when we're talking about something, something that I that I think about a lot is um, voting. You know, at DEMNC, obviously, we're huge fans of voting. We think about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, we think about it a lot. Um, redistricting is the the rule book of mm -hmm. voting in a lot of ways, or it's mm -hmm. like the the foundation for voting. You know, um, and it is in many ways just as, if not more important, than voting itself. And what I mean by that is that it's extremely important that the public and that people in their own communities know exactly what is going on with the redistricting processes, because that is how they are being represented, right? right? Like they, they are being put into one district or another that will determine how impactful their vote will be in one district versus another. And that's not how it, how it should work. There should be an independent body that is not affiliated or tied to one political interest or another that is only concerned with making the most competitive districts possible and making the most equitable and equally proportional districts possible that then allow the constituents of that district to hear the ideas and policies of competitive races and decide for themselves, this is who I want in this political office to represent me. Uh, this is who I want um, to advocate for these certain ideas. But in the situation we have now, we have politicians who are in charge of redistricting and can look, even if they claim not to, can look at the map and decide, well, I know I'm gonna do better here. So let me try to get as much of this area into my district as possible, as little of this district as possible. Let me try to make this district that I know I'm gonna lose as small as possible. Um, and that just makes it uh, more difficult for a voter to in good faith know that their vote is being fully counted and uh, making the most impact that it possibly can. Um, the only way to make sure that that happens is if we do have an independent uh, process for, for redistricting. Definitely. So if we, as regular people, want to keep engaging in this while the, our current maps are at the discretion of the court, what should we be doing now, if anything? Yeah, so uh, right now, um, Democracy North Carolina is starting to do some deep dive research into independent redistricting commissions. Mm -hmm. um, just to backtrack a little bit to the public hearings and public comments we heard, there were a lot of people 
in their public comments saying, we want an independent commission or an independent process right now in yeah. 2021. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's not possible. Um, that was not possible. Um, there are a lot of legal hurdles to, mm -hmm. to having an independent commission. Um, and just for a little background on that, I think over the past 20 to maybe 15 to 20 years, there have been over 30 bills introduced to the General Assembly from both sides of the aisle mm -hmm. um, pertaining to independent redistricting commissions. And all of them have failed. Yep. Um, so that just gives you a little idea of the, the fight where we have ahead of us. But if we don't get started advocating for and lobbying for an independent redistricting commission now in 2021, then we might as well wait until 2031 because you know the, the work we start doing now on an ind independent redistricting commission, the more we can advocate for that now, the better position we're in to have that commission set up for the 2030 redistricting cycle. Because if we wait, uh, if we don't get it done before 2030, then we're looking at essentially the same maps, these same gerrymandered maps for another 20 years. We should be thinking about it in a 20 year cycle instead of, you know, oh, we have 10 years to figure out an, an independent commission. No, we have like a few years. We have a few years and we need to do it quickly. Um, so if we're thinking about what uh, we can do, um, you know, as always, we, we urge our uh, followers and volunteers to write their, their representatives um, and uh, to continue voting. Um, and, you know, when we're, when you start, you know, looking at the primaries that are coming up and the midterms, um, ask your, ask those candidates, where do you stand on independent redistricting commission? What do you think? Um, because that should be a top policy priority um, for, for anybody, anybody who claims to value democracy, whether you're Democratic, Republican, um, if you want competitive elections that lead to uh, the best outcomes for you and your communities, then you should want an independent commission because let's say you're Republican, sure, these maps look great to you right now, but if Democrats are in power, they're going to do the same thing. They're not going to be inclined to just out of the goodness of their heart, set up an independent commission. It has to come from uh, strong public outcry and strong public opposition to the current process that, that we get an independent commission in terms of what, what our listeners can be doing right now. Uh, everything we've been talking about today has been state level redistricting. Mm -hmm. um, and Democracy North Carolina as a state, um, statewide organization, we have been concerned with the state level maps. But many local uh, communities at the city, county level uh, are still drawing those maps and they are not finalized yet. Right. So uh, if you go to your county websites, you will be able to find, hopefully, you know, some of these county websites out here are not the most up to date, um, but you should be able to find information about the, the redistricting process happening in your neighborhood for that county level. And um, honestly, that is a great way to get started on uh, the independent redistricting commission work, because even though we can't get one of those set up at the state level right away, there is potential for some sort, some version of an independent process in your local community 
um, even if that means just having public hearings that carry a little bit more weight than they did at the state level. You know, if you trust your county or municipal leadership to listen to what you're saying, if you think you have sway in your community, or if you can look to local leaders in your community, then you should absolutely be pressing your local uh, leadership to draw fair districts because you know the districting goes all the way down to the municipal level. We've been talking about state level here today, but um, you know, if you reach out to us here at DEMNC, we can connect you with our regional managing organizers who have been keeping an eye on local redistricting efforts. Mm-hmm. And you know, that is a great way to start, if for nothing else, just to familiarize yourself more with the process and understand, okay, this isn't gonna work here. And we need to remember that when we start advocating at the state level for what we want in an independent process, right? So um, there is still work to be done on this cycle when we're talking, at least in terms of the local districting. Um, state districting, we have to be, start thinking long-term. We have a little bit of a runway and Democracy NC will absolutely be involved in that fight with other partner organizations. And early 2022, we expect to have um, a, a pretty clear roadmap of what it will take and what we need from you uh, our supporters to to get there. Definitely. So if you are not already connected with your regional managing organizer, you can head over to demnc.co slash volunteer and look up who's in your region. Um, or you can, like JP said, just check your county website to see where things are at right now. So JP, thank you so much for being here today. This was a meandering uh, yeah. but informative conversation because just like them district lines, like, I don't know which way they're going to go. And oh, yeah. uh, it's been, it's been a long road that we've taken to get to this point in this cycle. Um, mm-hmm. But there, like you said, there's places for us to go and we're, we're going to work on it and we need y'all. So thanks again for being yeah. here. Hey, of course, this is preparing me for long rambling conversations around the Thanksgiving table um, Perfect. with with, uh, with family who might not be as willing to listen about all this, um, this wonky redistricting stuff. But yeah, I would love to come back and maybe if we got um, some questions from, from our listeners, if you have specific yeah. questions about redistricting, I would love to try to answer those, whether it's here on the pod um, or we can link my email um, to to the the pod info when when this drops. Yeah, definitely. We will make sure to add your email into the show notes, and uh, when we publish this on social media as well, make sure that uh, people hit you up in that email inbox. All their complicated questions, you know, they've got them. Yeah, and I'll I'll be much more clearer and to the point uh, when that <laughs> when I just write it out. Um, you know, you won't have to hear me editorialize. Hey, it's complicated. We're all working through it. So if you have any other questions, please DM us or email JP at his email in the show notes. And we'll see you again next time. Thanks for learning about redistricting and uh, helping us create a North Carolina that is built and drawn by us, hopefully, eventually. (laughs) Built and drawn. Yeah. (laughs) And thanks for listening to this podcast made of, by, and for the people. Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at
democracync. Or you can visit our website at democracync.org.